You're listening to Were You Still Talking? They pump out your blood and they pump in a, a new batch of blood and all of it is the blood of children. All the big stars are going to be on TV now. I mean, it's just the way it's going. Your role, I think, will be played by Brad Pitt. What'd you wear? Uh, I wore my loincloth wrapped around my feet. Are you going by John today? And that's absolutely true. You feel it in every cell in your body. Yeah, you can, you can bend the truth and bend the visualizations no matter what your political affiliation. You could have an alpaca. My a, a girlfriend's daughter recently got married and they had llamas or alpacas at the wedding. A recording room. They recorded uh, a couple songs in the kitchen of Rumbo. So, wait, you, you, you microdosed before this, right? What? Hey, welcome back. This is Were You Still Talking? And I am Joel Albrecht, still talking uh, in the studio today, or actually on the Zoomio, I have Jonathan Pritchard. Jonathan is a highly sought-after consultant and speaker specializing in the area of applied psychology and life and business. He does it in a very special way. His client list includes Fortune 500 companies like BP, State Farm, United Airlines, and more. He's the founder of the international consulting company, the Hellstrom Group, which has trained teams to improve their sales, negotiation, and presentation skills on six of the seven uh, continents. His expertise comes from his background traveling the world as a mentalist. That's the amazing part. A unique type of entertainer specializing in mind-reading tricks. The applied psychology he uses on stage on Vegas and TV and online gives him an edge off stage as well. It's really an amazing science. It's amazing technique. And what I've always wondered is, what is the difference between a mentalist and someone who's ment- not mental, uh, a, a mind reader? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there isn't really much of a, it's kind of a, dis- a distinction without a difference. The, the way I like to say it is mind reader helps people understand broad strokes of what you would expect at one of my entertainment shows. Mentalist is the technical term for the flavor entertainer that I am. So okay. mind reader usually connotes, oh, psychic powers. He's he's special. He was born with the gift. But a mentalist is more a person who has developed the skills of communication to a degree that they can do things that are seemingly impossible, but you're watching them happen without claiming supernatural powers. Yeah, okay. And that's kind of what I thought, but I wanted to clarify that with my with with the audience. Um so you're actually doing uh, in a um, you're doing it's it's stuff you learned like through um, being a magician and and it's like it's a trick, but right? It looks right. real. It's right. It's it's real principles applied okay. with real people to create experiences that are impossible. Oh, okay. The, it's it's really just information architecture saying the right thing at the right time, the right way to the right people to create the right effect. And that effect can be something that is physically impossible, but is experientially possible because the people in my audience are watching it happen and they're going, I, I don't, he's not lying. I just saw it happen. Where's the trick? I'm like, that's why it's a really good trick. (laughs) So it's it's all just communication skills and information architecture of saying the right thing, not saying the wrong thing, saying the right thing at the right time, not the wrong time. And you follow the right recipe, you get the right outcome. That's really interesting. So you're not actually communicating with the dead or anything like that? Not typically on stage. Not That's on the stage. late show out right. in the cornfield, for sure. Right. <laughs> okay. And how did you, how did this come about? Like, how did it, it's, uh, it's always amazed me. I've always liked uh, magicianship and, and the, the mentalist aspect. It's always fascinated me. Like, how did you get into this? You've been doing it, uh, what, 15 years now, I think? Well, I uh, let's see. My interest goes back even farther. Mm-hmm. My first paid gig 
was for a company's summer picnic. I got paid $200 when I was 13 years old to walk around for two hours just doing tricks for people and having fun. And I'm now 37 years old. So do that math. That's how long I've been a professional at, at doing this. And you're right. The way I got into it was starting in the world of magic. And I see that umbrella term as mystery entertainer. So it's kind of a big circus tent full of all sorts of weird people. <laughs> and then mentalist is a mystery performer that has specialized in mind reading tricks. So magicians do tricks with objects and tigers and people. Mentalists do tricks with information. Oh, so that's, okay. that's kind of a subtle difference. Uh-huh. So you don't use any tigers in your act? Not you don't. usually. Okay. The, the pain to glory ratio is off for me. The, the benefit of getting paid more, bringing the tiger versus the, the cost of feeding it and keeping it around the other 364 days out of that year with that kind of calculus, I decided, how about I go be a mentalist instead? So you're also good at math, right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. On stage, I am. In my real life, absolutely not. <laughs> you you could have had a really good documentary, though, if you'd used daggers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, uh, there, there are risks. <laughs> there are definitely risks. So you also... At what point did you decide that um, this was something I could use to help people with, you know, um, with improving their life and improving? I mean, you have four different books out. One of them is about memory. One of them is about um, um, what a mentalist does. There's like how, for one, how long did it take you to write four books? I always ask that. And uh, when did, you know, when did you kind of, when did the light come on that this could be used for different type of um, psychology exercises and, you know, helping people with their minds? Let me, let me see. I'll, I'll answer the book thing first. And then if I lose my way in the, the universe of possibility, it's hard for me to keep track of which timeline I'm on. So if I get lost in thought, reel me back. Um, the the book side of things was pretty straightforward because for 15 years, you're right, I, I was traveling the world doing the entertainment show. And a big part of, of the circuit I was in was entertaining college kids. So I would go to college campuses and do my 70-minute mind-reading show in the fine art theater, in the lunchroom at noon, whenever they want me, wherever they want me, I'll, I'll do my show. And it's 70 minutes of nothing but audience participation. I say it in, in my, kind of my prologue. I say, look, I'm a mind-reader. I could tell you what I'm thinking, but that is in no way impressive. It's only amazing if I tell you what you're thinking. So with your help, we're going to have a good time. They kind of go, oh, okay. So it's not just him, look how amazing I am. It's more of a let's work at this together kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. But then after, after the show, I've made a lot of friends. We've had a lot of fun, and I, I would usually have an autograph line, and then people would ask me questions or I have got this. What, what do you think about that? And over the years, the same 20 kinds of conversations kept coming up. The details would be different. The names might be different. The places would be different, but the concerns were always the same, whether it's, boy, I wish I had your self-confidence. Boy, I wish I was extroverted like you. And I would have to explain, I'm not extroverted. I'm actually really intensely introverted and shy. It's that I've learned outgoing behaviors because that's what gets me what I want out of life. So, so I would just answer those questions. So then I, I had 15 years worth of those to draw from to create the book, uh, Think Like a Mind Reader is what that is. So it, it covers general memory, general logic, general presentation skills, self-confidence, how to think about learning, all, all those kinds of things. So that's kind of the broad strokes of 
well, how in the world could this mentalist thing actually help me a normal human being that mm -hmm. never is in front of an audience? I don't even talk to customers. I don't see how this would help. There, there are a lot of applications for anybody that has to deal with a human being. And oh yeah, that means yourself too. So that's, that's kind of it. And then the other book, Learn Like Mind Reader, is the meta skill of learning how to learn so that you don't waste a lot of time with strategies that aren't effective. And memory was just one that I wrote because it's one of the quickest ways for people to prove to themselves that their brain can do things better than they thought they could. So most people think, oh, I've got a horrible memory. I can't remember this. I can't remember that. I'm like, well, your brain's not going to make a liar out of you. So why do you keep saying you're awful at this thing? It's going to prove you right. So that's one of the quickest ways to show people the power of their expectations and mindset to guide the outcomes of how they spend their time. So that's kind of why I wrote that. And then to the how did I find my way out of the performing ties in with why I wrote the books, which is a couple of years after the first autograph lines and talking to, to fans afterwards, started getting emails going, hey, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I, I never expected you to actually like, have a conversation. And based on that, here are the changes I made. And now things are, are fantastic. And that was the first inkling that, oh, this stuff is actually useful. And then it was a slow burn for myself because I was looking back and like, man, I grew up dirt poor. My parents worked at factories. My mom was a, a secretary. We lived in a trailer, lived on a dirt road, right? It's like, that's my background. So I began to realize that the psychological techniques I would use on stage for performance and entertainment purposes, I had kind of by default been using them in my own life, in my business to create a career for myself. So it was just kind of that fractal multiple level application. I was like, oh my God, this is applicable everywhere. This is awesome. So then encouraged by that success, I then started branching out into the business world because I saw so many business gurus claiming to understand the psychology of sales, the psychology of negotiation. I was like, wait a minute, can you stand in front of a room of 3,000 intelligent people and convince them that you could read minds? No. Good point. Like, right. I know this better than you. <laughs> so, so I can not only deliver the ideas more effectively, I can involve the audience in a collaborative way that they literally can't forget for a decade after. So it's not just raise your hand if you've ever been in this situation. And then speakers <laughs> call that interactive, right? Right. Or speakers like, let me tell you the story about this mogul that never existed because I made him up just to prove this point and seem relatable. And like, oh, he's such a good storyteller. No, leave all that in the dust. Let me demonstrate these ideas, show you what you can do. And now you're directly involved because I'm working with your mind, there's no way in the world you're going to forget that. So that's why my clients pay me a lot of money to come in and deliver their messages. So my, my experiences are the delivery mechanism that can kind of hold any payload or message that my clients want delivered to the audience. It's always interesting to me when someone like yourself says that they are extremely introverted. I hear this a lot um, from every kind of, every type of performer. Um, I've, I've performed with a lot of people who are introverts. I found in the last year that I'm far more introverted than I ever knew because I didn't, it didn't, <laughs> didn't bother me I'm as like, much I'm as fine. you would think. Like, oh, what, yeah, I'm, what are I'm you good. talking what? about? <laughs> you don't have to go out? Okay, that's fine. We're good. It's like, finally, the extroverts know how painful the standard operating social narrative is. Right. It's like, yeah. You're just getting bizarre. a good dose of what it's like to be an introvert in the extroverted world. Now you extroverts get to live in an introverted world for a little while. Just one year and you can't handle it. Come you on. Yeah. It's true. It's amazing. It's like, yikes. <laughs> wow. How are things in Chicago? 
I don't know. I don't go outside. You don't go outside. <laughs> Any idea? Yeah, weird, weird. I mean, I I used to. I've lived all over the country. Uh, born in California, raised North Carolina. College in Kentucky. Summers oh, wow. in Fort Lauderdale. Lived in Orlando for three years. Worked at Disney, Universal Studios. Uh, moved to Austin, Texas, where I was for about seven years. All of that, the summers, I'm sweaty. I was tired of it. I'm, I'm going to go where it's cold. So I just made it through my eighth Chicago winter and and have thoroughly enjoyed it. Wow. Okay. And it's it's really cold there, right? I mean, it wasn't it, a pretty it, cold it gets, Yeah, I've it's been cold. warm before and it's not this. So I've, it's, I've lived it's in fantastic. Oregon. Yeah, I've lived in Oregon most of my life. Uh, I lived 11 years in Southern California, and I can't get used to Oregon again. And I've been I've been back here a long time. <laughs> like, I'm ready to move back to a warm climate. I'm just yeah yeah. I'll be I'll be going cold. back to North Carolina. That's where my family is, and mm-hmm. and I miss the mountains. So I'll I'll be going back there, but it's not because I I hate the cold. It's, yeah, well that's good. That's good. I mean, I think it's nice to be to, to get used to all kinds of weather. I'm not so much that way. Um, <laughs> the cold's okay. It makes for a beautiful area, that's for sure. Um, you appreciate spring more, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Really appreciate spring and summer. So much more. So yep. much more. <laughs> now I lost my train of thought. I had another question I was going to ask you uh, based on what you were talking about. Oh, but another one. So uh, there are some uh, famous mentalists and magicians who kind of try and discredit um, people who say they're mind readers, who are not, you know, not doing it as a mentalist, but doing it as a, uh, I'm a spiritual mind reader. I can read, you know, I can see dead people. I can read your right. mind. Da da da. Do you, uh, do you, what do you? What's your opinion on that? Or do you? Well. Even have- um, for four years, I handled applications for James Randi's paranormal challenge, a million dollars on the line to anybody who claims to have supernatural powers. I handled applications. I helped him design testing protocols. So he was one of the main proponents okay. of the, uh, prove it crowd. Uh-huh. And there's a, a very important distinction that I like to make it. It seems subtle, but it's actually a huge difference, which is he he wasn't a debunker so much as he was somebody who ensured that the people making the claim followed through on what they said they could do. So it wasn't mm-hmm. that he was proving they couldn't. All he was doing was making sure that the folks who claimed to be able to read minds, who be able to talk to dead people were actually doing it and not using cheap carny tactics that we all learned when we were seven years old. So that's a, a very different approach from, well, I'm debunking you and you're a, a fraud and a phony. His whole mission was you're the one making the claim. It's now on you to prove it. And we're going to create an environment where if you genuinely had those supernatural skills, this should be a walk in the park. This should offer zero resistance to you. What Mm -hmm. it should do is prevent you from using any earthly methods of trickery that are well known to the magical brotherhood. So how about uh, you don't use those tricks and wait a minute. So now you can't do what it is you said you could do. Hmm, that's that's not compelling evidence in your favor. So it's just that nobody who has ever made the claim of supernatural skills has ever demonstrated it in a way that doesn't preclude trickery. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And that's that was uh what was his name? Houdini I had the same uh I mean he went about it in a more it's I think a more uh I'm going to prove you wrong because you're all a bunch of fakes. It wasn't yes. quite, you know, it, it was a different approach. I, I right. really appreciate and a different kind of background from Randy in that my, my read on it. And I've, I've done a lot of looking into it. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was because Houdini was such a mama's boy and his mom had passed away. 
he saw it as a viable option to have that one last conversation with her. So he really wanted it to be real. And then he was going to the best in the business. Right. Right. And then was sharply disillusioned because he saw right through the shtick and then was incensed that these people were using cheap conjuring tricks to leverage his desire to talk to his dead mom. And that kind of righteous indignation was the fuel for his proactive approach, which was, you're right. Uh, one of my one of my buddies, we we do a recreation of a seance that you would have seen in the late 1800s. He's oh, cool. the history, I'm the mystery, uh -huh. as he likes to put it. Nice. So he does kind of a TED Talk style background, and then I demonstrate what you would have seen. And he explains that Houdini was basically he he was a superstar, not just famous, internationally famous when travel was near impossible. So it would be like, I would be the faker. I would be the seance person doing the seance in a huge theater, huge auditorium, a thousand people there. And then Beyonce stands up in the middle of my act and then starts screaming at me that I am the great Houdini and this is balderdash, which is a really bad word back in the day. And then Houdini powers up on stage and then just starts screaming at me until like, what do you do if Beyonce is doing that? Like there's no coming back from that. So that was his, yeah, yeah. that was his strategy for, for shutting people down. It was very, very effective. <laughs> well, I bet it was. Oh man. I need to do another Houdini movie, by the way. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, and maybe make it a little more accurate. Not even doesn't yeah. even need to be accurate. Just he didn't just die little. in the water tank. He didn't right. die in the water tank. Just a little more accurate. That's true. He didn't. There wasn't. Yeah, it was a good movie. But anyway, <laughs> I'm surprised I haven't redone that because that's that's an amazing story. I mean, and you know, one of the things you mentioned there about how famous he was. It's not something we even understand in this day of you know internet and anyone can do a podcast stuff like that it's just it's it's what yeah it's hard to imagine it's really hard to imagine and how do you so uh, obviously no one won a million dollars nobody I'll ever even got through preliminary testing <laughs> really really i mean because if someone was really skilled at what you do couldn't wouldn't it no. be possible no no, no you, not you, at all. you guys can pick it out no matter no matter right what. there's no one right. that good okay and you also were, um, you were on a talent show. You were on a, a uh, national talent show to do, you, to do your little tricks. Uh, yeah. What was that like? I've always wondered what that was like. Terrifying but, and exhausting. Really? Yes. Yeah? Uh, imagine the dread of knowing today's the day you're going to die. <laughs> and you think the person who's going to kill you shows up. And then, no, that's just the delivery guy. You kind of go, oh, okay, okay. And then somebody else, you're like, this is it. This is the moment. Nope. Your adrenaline spikes. Oh, right? man, yeah. So it's so just all day of shooting. It's 14 hours mm -hmm. of being on, knowing that if you even kind of brush your nose with your finger, that's going to be the thing that gets on national television. So you have to be hyper aware of every single thing you're doing at every single moment for hours before you ever even get to go on stage to do what it is you're there to do. Oh, it's so they're rolling weird. on you the whole time. You they, never they, know. You, nev you, oh, you never don't know. know when, oh, okay. When there's... You can never be sure there's not a camera. Oh, yeah, that would be extremely exhausting. I would, yeah, I would definitely wipe my nose. <laughs> right. And then one one producer will come and then go, oh, we need you over here. You kind of go, oh, I guess I'm doing the thing. Nope, mm -hmm. they just take you to another waiting room where they're shooting different B-roll. And then you're there for two hours and, and you're freaking out like, when's it going to happen? So eventually you just, you kind of get numb to it. Mm -hmm. 
you think until the next producer comes by it has a headset and a clipboard you kind of go oh do i need to bring my stuff and they're like yeah you need to bring your stuff you're like, okay i'm gonna do the thing oh no it's another holding room different b-roll so tell us about how right so it's it's just not knowing what each step is or is going to be is exhausting so in order to make it through it you have to be really aware of yourself and to be in control of the emotional reactivity in relationship to that moment mm-hmm. and not let it run away with you. So recognizing, all right, I'm just having another spike, another freaking out. This is what I, right? Right. It's, well, the, it's a tough situation. That seems really hard because in most cases with stage fright, I mean, I get a little bit every time I perform and, um, just enough to where it's it's going to, you know, make a performance a little better. Yeah. But to have that for 14 hours, yeah, I would just, I would probably pass out. Right. <laughs> and, and, like, and you I, know, too, you know, like, okay, here's the stage fright. Now I'm on. And for me, it goes away. I know for some people it doesn't. But once I'm on, a, you know, whatever thing I'm going to do, then there's no more stage fright. I'm just doing the performance. And so yeah. just to constantly be in that spot, that you know, back, backstage, whew, that's got to be hard. Right. That'd be hard. It, and it, it was like, and even when you're in the wings and you finally get mic'd up and you're talking to Nick Cannon and the, the producers are like, okay, so we're interviewing. Don't go out yet. Um, yeah, it, it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. But also, I, I had a little conversation with myself, which was, this is what you've literally been spending your life learning to do this is what you want this is what you've worked to get now go have fun and framing it that way was like listen i don't have any control over how they cut up my performance i have no control over which camera angle they use if they want to expose how this works they're going to oh yeah i can't i can't let that freak me out if, if so, I should have never applied in the first place. So being able to let go of the details that I don't have control over is super scary, but also part of what it is you're signing up to do. Right. Right. So they're, in the, the way they're filming it, they could see what you're doing. They could, they could see that. For, for that one, absolutely. Idea. Yeah, there, uh-huh. there were better and worse angles for it audience side total mystery behind the scenes very strange ridiculous performance art oh interesting wow yeah that's wild i did because yeah when you see most people performing on uh television they you know they they usually are the ones that have control so they they're pretty sure the audience is not going to see what's going on the producers are in control Right. Performers are never in control, ever. It's always up to the producers. The Mm -hmm. judges aren't even in control because I got three out of four of the judges give me a yes. And even though I made it through to yet another round, none of my entire run made it to a full episode. Oh, wow. So. Even though you get through, that is not a guarantee that you get through onto the show because why? The producers are the final creators of the experience you see at home. It is not a documentary. Yeah, and this is something I've known for many, many years. Most people don't quite get that. Those shows are not a documentary. I mean, and more and more, they're they're even being scripted, um, which, yeah, some of them are. A lot of them are. Uh, people don't quite get that. Um, and and even to the point of saying they're not scripted, when, when I was having my interviews of, okay, so tell us about your background, I would say my answer, and then the producer would try to help me out a lot of saying, how about we, can oh, you wow. put it a, a different kind of way? So oh. you feel like a dog trying to figure out what trick does my owner want me to do because they can't help you. They can't script it for you because it's a game show. 
Oh, okay. But you definitely know. Well, that wasn't a good answer. They want something else. So you you've uh, got an internal moment there. Do you stay honest and true, or do you say whatever you need to say to get on the show that you know they're looking for? Mm-hmm. Oh man, not much pressure there. No, Would, none at all. None at all. Would you do it again? Yeah. Yeah. I, I did. I, I also went out for uh, Penn and Teller Fool Us. And oh, I you went did? Out. That's that one was of my a completely, That was a completely different experience. It was wonderful. It was mm-hmm. outstanding. Still didn't make it to air for some reason. Whatever it is that I did for some reason, which due to the game show rules, they're not at liberty to to say why my, my segment didn't make it on. But they pay everybody. For mm-hmm. their time, because they go, well, if you're here, you're, you're not out working. So we'll at least pay for your travel. We'll pay you for your time. Thank and you. they're such fans of magic and the magic world that it's it's uh, just a delight to to work with them. And also their mentor was James Randi. Uh-huh. So the fact that we both had the same mentor and, and we've seen each other at least once a year for 15 years in a row, it was just kind of cool to, to see them again. Oh, nice. That I mean, I guess that's what I like about the show is they're not, you know, it's a competition, but it seems like they're really rooting for the competitors. It, it's not, the, it's, right. it's not like Simon Cowell, you know, right. get the off my stage. <laughs> right. The competition is a thin veneer of interest for the audience who thinks that is what this show is all about, when mm-hmm. really that's the misdirection for Penn and Teller to show off their best friends who were all magicians. Right, right. It, I, I kind of got that. It kind of came across to me, but it's it's um, it's just it's a great way to do it. It's a great way yeah. to do it. And the I mean, the ones that, uh, they're all amazing, but the ones that win are pretty, yeah, they're pretty mind-boggling. Now, do they, um, uh, do they know all the tricks and they just pick someone they like? <laughs> No, no. Do they they really get fooled? Because it's no. They they have people on there seem integrity to to not lie to themselves or Mm -hmm. the audience. Um, It is it is an honest show. That is actually an honest show. Mm -hmm. They're not just putting on airs. They're not just saying, "Oh, you fooled us," because we want you to look awesome in front of our our audience. No, if, if they're fooled, they're genuinely fooled. There there have been times where they were fooled until two minutes after the guy walks off stage. You're like, ah, I, I okay, I how did I miss that? But it's it's never a disingenuous, oh, you fooled us. It's it's always they're they're two of the most ethical people with integrity that I've ever met, especially uh in the entertainment world. That's awesome. That's that's nice to hear because they always they always come across like they're really nice people. Like you know, like they're 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 real. Oh, they can be they can be very not nice, but they have integrity, <laughs> right? <Okay. laughs> <laughs> to me, those, those two those two things are very very separate. Right? That's so true. That's true. Kind of, my my sweetie recently was like, "You're you're very kind, but not nice." I was like, "Thank you." I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's pretty funny. (laughs) Uh, So what was your, what did you do on Fool Me? How did you, what was the trick? How did you do it? Uh, Let me see. It was, (laughs) okay. I walk out and I invite somebody from the audience to walk up on stage with me. And it's genuinely a random person. And, and on stage, there's a giant prize wheel, kind of like a, a roulette wheel, um, and it's divided into six pie sections. And they're, they're, it's over there. And we're standing over here, and I say, in, <laughs> you're, you're going to help me out here and give her a couple half dollars and check them out. They're solid. There are no trap doors, hidden assistants, anything like that. And there's also six strips of duct tape. So we, we use the half dollars, put them in my eye sockets, then use six strips of duct tape over my face, then put a big hunk of metal over my face. So that, that way, 
X-rays can't see through it. I can't see through it. So once that's done, I then give my volunteer a marker and then go over to the prize wheel and write your name on one of the pie slices and the names of other people you don't know on the other five. Now, you can write your name first, second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever. Um, when you're done, give it a spin and come on over here where it's safe. So she does that. So she writes a whole bunch of names. You don't know which one's hers um, because I'll say, please excuse me for being rude and not introducing her. You guys will understand why in, in just a minute. So she gives it a spin. She comes back over and say, please stand to my left. Put your right hand on my left shoulder. Excellent. Can you see your name over there? Yes. Perfect. Um, then I reach inside my jacket and then take out a gun. And it's a paintball gun, but it's one where the paintballs are in a clip in the handle of the gun. So it, it looks much more real than one that has the hopper on the side and it's clearly a paintball gun. Right, right. So I, I, load, <laughs> I load the chamber and then shoot five of the six names while totally blindfolded. And then I say, there should be one left. And she says, yep. And it's yours. Yep. Please have a nice round of applause for my new best friend, Stephanie. That's your name, right? And she's like, yep. Give it up for Stephanie, everybody. And then she goes back to her seat. I peel the tape off my face, take a bow. Thank you. Good night. Dang, that's an, that sounds like an amazing trick. I think and so, it, too. It didn't even make air, you for some reason, it maybe it might have been that I flubbed something. I oh. might have, I might have um, been because it was a gun and the network didn't want it on air. I I don't know. Well, but that could be possible. I had a, depending I had a on what, great time doing yeah. it. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, depending on the week, what happened in the news that week, they might not want to put uh, a paintball gun on. You never know. You never know. Right, exactly. And that's, that, that's a big part yeah. of it is you never know. Just keep trying. Keep showing up. No right. one thing is going to make or break your career. And, oh, I'm going to be on national TV. Nope. <laughs> 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 so don't don't count your, your famous eggs before they hatch. All right. Uh, right. Right. That's that's a good point. So you have uh, you've got some cards in your hand. Do you do you always just fiddle with cards when you're uh doing something on mic so i the... do they they're my uh they're my fidget toy uh, uh -huh. because i'm not i'm not like a card magician but for me um it is such a weird portal into the nature of how we know things that sounds pretentious but it's actually cool which is there are things that are true that we can't understand Mm -hmm. which is a really yeah. weird idea. And it and simply like just the number of ways that you can shuffle a deck of cards. And I don't mean like a uh, riffle shuffle, overhand shuffle. I just mean that the number of possible arrangements of playing cards in a deck of cards, we can't understand it. You can do the math. It's 52 factorial. 52 mm -hmm. times 51 times 50 all the way down till times one. That number is so big, we can't appreciate it. Like if, if you shuffled once a second since you were born to 80 years old, you would have to go through trillions of lifetimes before you would ever have to repeat uh, a sequence of playing cards. So it's kind of like every time you're holding a deck of cards, you're you're holding functional infinity. It's not real infinity because there is an upper limit to that number, mm -hmm. but you're never going to reach it ever in the history of your life. Every time you mix the cards, it's a miracle. It's a one in trillions of lifetimes arrangement that will never exist once you shuffle it out of it, out of that particular order. So to me, it's just kind of the perfect meditation on limited and unlimited potential and actual and life and choices. It's just to me, the, the perfect poetry of life. 
Oh, that's amazing. I really like that. I, I've always liked that concept too, that um, there are things that we don't, we can't actually conceive. Um, you know, there, there's a certain size that our brain won't really understand. I mean, when we talk about the distance from the earth to the sun, we don't actually get that. Like we can't conceive that in our mind because it's, it's too big, you know? And, right. Yeah. Right. So, and, and that's another great illustration is that kind of like for Rubik's cubes, people think Rubik's cubes are more complicated or, or wow, even more difficult than a deck of cards. Cards are more complicated than a Rubik's cube and a Rubik's cube. Uh, if you had one, for every way that they could possibly be mixed up and arranged, put them end to end, they would stretch from Earth to our next nearest star and back again four times. Wow. And a Rubik's Cube is chump change compared to how many permutations there are with the deck of cards. And all of this is true. You can Google it. You can look it up. You can look at those numbers and it still won't land your brain simply can't understand that truth. And to me, that is a fascinating piece of human wiring that, that is very strange. It is. It's really fascinating. It's, it's just like the people who are math geniuses, there's something different in their brain. You know, there, there are people who can understand math that better than, better than most of us. And it's like their brain is wired different. Because they, they just get numbers where most of us, you know, don't. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> Even if we get to college level math, it's, it's a whole different thing. It's really amazing. Uh, the other thing we didn't talk about, which I um, think is great, you do uh, Wing Chun Kung Fu every day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's my favorite thing. <laughs> do you know It Man? Uh, not personally. He, he <laughs> died before it? my time. Yeah, a little. Uh, yeah, a little. But yeah, the movie's great. I, I love the movie. It's great propaganda. It's great propaganda. That's just it. It's like beautiful. It, whenever I watch those, uh, even with the Bruce Lee movies, it's like beautiful dances. You know, yes, it, it's amazing yes. choreography. It, it's incredible stuff that they can do. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, most people kind of misunderstand uh, what that really is. What that's really yeah. about. And it's and that's a another great insight of. Uh, Bruce Lee first learned Wing Chun Kung Fu, and a lot of Bruce Lee's philosophical musings have deep roots in Wing Chun's approach to to life and, and mm -hmm. whatnot. Um, and one of my favorite things is the Be Like Water. And most people who are big fans of that piece of advice don't appreciate how direct water is. They're always looking at water's indirect power, but they don't think about, you don't need to do all that extra going around. If you can go straight in, go straight in. It's, it's ultra efficient. So it's not advice to be wishy-washy and to just go anywhere life pushes you. It's be direct. And when there is no direct path, go around as little as possible to achieve your outcome. And also water can crash forward. So even if there is something directly in front of you, there's probably a good chance you can crash through it. So it's a, it's a philosophy of being ultra direct and efficient without unnecessary detours from your destination. I like that explanation. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because it's not, yeah, it's not just about flowing with the river. It, it, there's a lot more to it than that. And um, that makes a lot of sense. Water can do all kinds of different things and it can change form to to adapt. Uh, I always right. thought it was about adaptability. That's kind of what I always took out of it. Um, you know, adapt like water does. It's also one of the most powerful forces on Earth. Right. And it, it, it is incredible. about adaptability, but it's not an, it's not advice to always be changing just to change. Right. So a lot of folks right. are are moving very quickly, but going in a circle, no forward progress. And because they're busy, they think they're effective. Look at how much I'm changing. Look, I'm so dynamic. Look, I'm I'm so adapting. 
yeah, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> you're just spinning your, yeah, that's true. right. So everybody likes to confuse the, oh, water is wishy-washy and so soft and yielding and, mm-hmm. and whatnot as an excuse to not be moving in the right direction. Oh, that's really interesting. That's a, that's a really good point. How did you get started doing Wing Chun? It's, uh, what well, drew you to that? Uh, my life had fallen apart. <laughs> oh, because <laughs> I was making it. really bad choices. Uh-huh. I had made a whole bunch of bad choices. I had been married, made made bad choices, got divorced, and then my life continued to spiral out there. And I used the touring life to kind of accelerate that <laughs> that spiral. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. so life wasn't as stable as it could be otherwise. And I was in Vegas with Randy, helping him run one of the science conferences. And he introduced me to the guy I learned Kung Fu from. And I figured if Randy knows this guy and Randy being who Randy is, I know this Kung Fu guy isn't going to waste my time trying to learn how to shoot chi bullets out of my brain. So, okay, <laughs> let's, uh, let's actually talk. You don't so want to learn how to shoot chi bullets? Out of- I would love to learn how to shoot chi bullets out of my brain. If anybody could show me that it's possible, that would be awesome. So, so I started learning from this guy and I knew that no matter how bad my life was and to give you more context, like my car got repossessed twice in one year. Like that's, (laughs) that's where it was. And because I have the gift of gab, I talked my way out of both of them. Like that's not a good skill to have because (laughs) you just go, "Eh, I'll talk my way out. So, so I just kept talking myself into worse and worse positions. Okay. So no matter how bad things were, I knew I at least need to do this today. I can at least do my training. I mm-hmm. can do five minutes of this discipline. And that was my way of building internal discipline to do the things I know I needed to be doing. So that small bit of structure was what I needed to build on because I've been rewarded for not having structure. I'm supremely unemployable, right? It's like I, <laughs> yeah. I, I've never punched the That's, clock. Uh-huh. I got paid for knowing really weird stuff and showing up in the middle of the night to entertain a crowd of strangers. Like that's not normal behavior. So I, I'd never had external structure to keep myself accountable and my life reflected it. Uh-huh. So learning martial arts is forcing yourself to learn how to deal with the most fundamental layer of reality, which is your base physical being. So if you don't even know how to navigate space time properly, how in the world are you going to manage the more abstract layers of life, your thoughts, your emotions, your breath, your, your money, your energy, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm, I'm not going to listen to somebody who can't manage their body and space. Interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. I, I, um, I like all those concepts. I mean, uh, I haven't done martial arts in years, mainly because of chronic pain problems, but, um, I, you know, I really should just get back into it five minutes a day because I could do that. Um, I, I practiced different disciplines when I was much, much younger. Um, and all those things is what you get out of it. I mean, it, it gives you discipline. I mean, a lot of people send their kids to it for various reasons, but um, sometimes and I almost think you should have been there the first time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little Timmy yeah, needs this. A little no, yeah. little Timmy needs yeah. it because you haven't been doing it. Because you haven't been doing it. Sometimes I think it's better if you start a little later. Because um, I started when I was a teenager, and and it was all on my own, and there was more. I felt like I maybe got more out of it than I would have when I was ten, you know, because I mm-hmm. there was concepts I wouldn't have understood at all when I was ten years old, and yeah, uh, all those concepts you were talking about. And so, are you still able to go like uh, to a dojo at this time? Are you always practice just practice at home, or do they even call it a dojo in Wing Chun? Uh, I don't know. It, it's a, a practice area. Do, dojo is is Japanese. Kun is Kun. is okay. Cantonese. Okay. Um, the I first learned when I was living in Texas, and my teacher was based in Hawaii. 
So this was about oh, okay. 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So we did we did Google Hangout training. Wow. So it, it's like it's like battle choreography, right? It's like he show, right. shows me what to do. I learned to do it. And he mm-hmm. can spot when the move's not right. And then every six months, we would go hang out, fight for a weekend. And he'd be like, all right, yeah, you're you're coming along the, the way that you should be. So it wasn't ideal. Like ideal is you quit your job, you go move to the temple on the mountain and you do chores for 10 years before he teaches you one technique. Okay, I get it. All things being equal, that was the coolest way to, to learn Kung Fu. So so that's that's how I did it. And then starting about four years ago here in Chicago, I was like, this is just so much fun. I want to share it with as many people as I can. So I never claimed to be the world's best. I never claimed to be a, a world champ or anything. It's more of a, I know how to do this and it's really fun and I want to share it with you. So if you want to learn how to be excited about this thing too, let's hang out. So I had a meetup group of about a hundred people and a kind of small class would show up every Sunday and we'd meet up at a, at a gym. But then it was kind of weird to me, the calculus that a lot of people in the self-defense community were doing, which is we're in a pandemic. It's a pandemic. It's fake. So we're going to continue meeting up in person. So the Pascal's wager of, yeah, we're going to bet that this isn't real and put ourselves in a situation unnecessarily where we would be more likely to hurt ourselves, to me, seemed counter to the ethos of self-defense. So in light... Very good point. So That's a good in, point you in might. light of keeping people safe, I was like, it's not smart to keep showing yeah. up in person. Even if it is safe, it's not smart. So let's let's well, disband the group and um, come back if it makes sense. I'm glad you came up with that idea because it, it probably was safe for the people practicing it. They were exercising all the time. You were getting, you know, you were breathing well. You're probably a bunch of youngsters, um, but it wasn't necessarily safe to be carrying that around the uh the city that's what that's what i think a lot of people well if you think it's not real you think it's not real but it was real (laughs) every time we got together you know i followed all the protocols not because i was worried about myself at all but i didn't want to be giving it to anyone else and that's that was the main thing i wasn't too worried about myself still i'm not too worried about myself half my household is is vaccinated now that's awesome i'm starting to relax a little bit Oh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah. A, a big detail, too, because in addition to the, the Wing Chun stuff, um, all my in-person keynote speaking opportunities, all of my trade show work where I'm in the booth as the attractor for crowds of people, I then entertain them for 15 minutes while sneaking in my clients marketing messages to mm-hmm. pre-qualify people at scale and then hand them off to the sales team. So the sales team is just handed cherry opportunity after cherry opportunity. All of my consulting sales negotiation presentation skills workshops, all of that evaporated in about a span of two weeks of wow. March, 2020. And I was kind of butthurt for a month mm-hmm. and then realized, yeah, I'm being problems oriented, not solutions oriented. I legit had that conversation with myself and said, okay, it can't be what it was, but what can you do with what you have? So then I was thinking, okay, what would an online show look like? So I designed a Zoom-friendly mind-reading show, and I, I ran it all through 2020, and it's still going as long as people want to keep showing up. I, I think it will kind of fade out as the roaring twenties come back. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets <laughs> set loose on the, the world again. And they're like, I'm never even picking up the phone again <laughs> in true. person or nothing. So when, <laughs> when that really comes back in full force, I probably won't still be doing it, but mm-hmm. it was a really cool learning experience of identifying the positives and the advantages of a constraint that previously looked worse because now on zoom doing the zoom show 
every single person gets a front row seat as though they're sitting right across the table from me. So when I'm doing what I do, they're seeing it in 4K video. Like that's right, better resolution right. than you could see sitting two rows back at a nightclub. Mm-hmm. So it's it's actually really fun. It's really cool stuff. Does it make it any harder? I mean, is it? Yes. Yeah, I would think that would make it harder to hide stuff because it's so... It, it makes it more difficult to hide stuff, but the, and, the most difficult element of it is the lack of in-person flow of energy. The audience typically is right here, and I can see all of their responses. I can hear them. I can hear the stunned silence, right? Because right. I know it worked, right. and they're just literally sitting there with their mouth open incapable of doing anything as their brain and conscious mind click through the last 10 minutes and then catch up to, yeah, that really did happen. So only having the camera Mm -hmm. in the room and bright lights, it was nice that I had had the national TV experience behind me. And I realized that if I were an emotional vampire as a speaker or a performer and Mm -hmm. I relied on my audience to feed my attention monster. It would have been worse, but I see my role as a curator for the amazement of my audience. So I'm there to devote as much of my energy as possible to facilitate the experience for my audience. So I know I've got to bring the party. I got to bring the thunder. I can't rely on the audience to do that for me. So I don't care if it's just me in a room by myself talking to a camera. I need to do it the best I know how to communicate my enthusiasm to everybody sitting at home on the couch uh, all over the world. That's awesome. That's that's really cool. You also started a podcast. Is that right? I did. I believe you have a podcast. I I do. (laughs) Um, Its current incarnation is the Mind Reader University, Mm -hmm. which is... One of the questions I get is, did you go to college for this stuff? Like, is there some sort of mind reading school or something? And I'm like, no, that's the that's the weirdest question I've ever heard. But then it, it really clicked. I was like, actually, that's very smart. Like, that's that's a very logical question. And I said, well, there isn't one, so I'm gonna make it. So I I made Mind Reader University. Um, so we're we're in the 40s uh, episodes or something. All right. Um, Part of it is I think I might rebrand because uh, mm-hmm. there's a, a parallel project that I have called Elite University because I'm literally a world-class performer in a variety of skills. My friends are literally world-class in a variety of industries and abilities. Mm-hmm. So I'm used to being around people who think – at a world-class level, and most people don't have the opportunity to learn how to think like that. So Elite University is where I'm sharing a lot of the strategies and tactics and mindset shifts that you got to make in order to think at a, at a world level. Um, Mind Reader University, while cute and makes sense once we've had a a conversation for an hour, you go, that makes so much sense. I get it. I, I see why that would be a million dollar idea, mm-hmm. but a, a million dollar company executive would go mind reader university. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Mind <laughs> readers. Why, why, why would I ever buy a five, anything from a mind reader? What, what an idiot. However, they want to be world-class elite performers in their field. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's why I'm I'm debating the uh, the rebranding of just shifting everything from Mind Reader University and then re retooling the podcast to be Elite University solely. So it would be different, or it would be the same information with a different brand. It would be the same information. It'd be the same structure because yeah. the idea is uh, a good idea. Mind Reader University is uh, every week you get a new professor guest professor. And we pick their brains to to get the ideas out 
of of world class performers. Mm-hmm. Um, so just so you know, I don't know when you out in podcast land are listening to this, and I don't know when it goes live in real time. Um, but at the time of recording, um, we're sneaking up on my wedding and a big move. So I am going to be uh, saying this is the first semester, and then we'll we'll take a, a short summer break, and then we'll come back with the the next semester. So if when you hear this, there hasn't been a new episode in three or four weeks, it's okay. We're just taking a break. We'll be back. Congratulations. That's fantastic. That, Thank uh, you. On all that. I mean, you're starting, uh, you're getting married and you're really starting a new, a new school. That's, that's awesome. Um, and where could they go to get all this? Well, It'll be the, in the show notes, but in case people don't read. <laughs> <laughs> right on. I, I do know that is a dying art. Uh, and why did I continue writing books? Um, but yeah, the, the best place to go would be Elite University because what I'm sharing there is usually what these large corporations pay me a big old bag of money to teach their sales teams, their engineering teams, their employees, the secrets of better communication and rapport and relationship building and, and that kind of thing. Um, so the chances of you being able to learn from me is actually pretty small unless you go talk to your HR department and get me booked. But uh, Elite, okay. University, Elite University is where I'm sharing all these strategies and frameworks and systems. Um, and that's my hub of social media, email list, where, where I share updates and whatnot. Um, so yeah, that would be the, the place to go. And from there, you can find all the crazy irons that I have and all the many fires. All the fires. So, but you are still doing... Um, Corporate training and and yes. stuff like that—that's still happening. Absolutely, you're yep. still available and for that. If someone's listening and they want to, they want you to come perform at their um, their one right. quarter full conference room. Right, right. <laughs> so I see it. I see it as a sliding scale. On one end is entertainment. On the other end is education. Mm-hmm. Um, the most value that I bring is as a trainer and a person who can impart skills very quickly to teams to be more effective to improve the bottom line. If your sales team was 1% more effective at what they were doing, run the numbers, what would that do for your company? So that's the most valuable thing that I do for my clients. But sometimes they just want to have fun and then slide that over to entertainment so oh, I can yeah. still deliver a message of enthusiasm, customer service, uh, customer focus, whatever that message is, but it's still more the performance angle. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a show business or show business. Either one uh-huh. works and it's a kind of percentage of 70% business, 30% show, 80% show, 20% business. And, and it'll be custom built to what they're looking for. Right, right. Huh. And that's, it's so interesting that you learn these skills really by being your own, but being an entrepreneur on the road and, you know, just using them constantly. Uh, and every realize, every you know, show that I did was at least 100 data points, real-time feedback about rapport building, trust building, communication skills, influence, <laughs> persuasion, negotiation, sales, marketing. Like you don't go negotiate with Vegas without knowing a thing or two. You don't go negotiate with the oh, United yeah. States military and then do a two-week tour for the the troops over there. Mm-hmm. So I've negotiated for stakes that are larger than most people see. So that's why I was like, yeah, I'm I'm an authority on this stuff. I, I'm, I'm literally a world-class <laughs> expert because I'm playing at elite levels. Mm-hmm. I want as many people to know this stuff as possible so that they know how to deliver more value for their customers and clients. So you must get a killer deal on automobiles. What? <laughs> I sold my car. I don't even, I don't even have a car anymore. You don't anymore. even have it's a awesome. car anymore? Yeah, I got, so, I got to buy another one to get back to, to North Carolina. You can lease something, rent something. It's it because I. It's interesting. I'm looking, kind of looking at getting a new car, and, and I keep thinking, why? <laughs> why am I thinking right, of spending right. this money right now? 
I exactly. barely I'm, drive. I'm gonna finance it from myself. Jeez. Yeah, there you go. That's a good I'm, way to I'm do it. I'm my own bank. That's, that's a whole a, nother. That's yeah. That's a good hole. idea too. That's a good good way to go. Good way to go. Absolutely. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Why why give somebody else all that money? Yeah. Well, listen, we should uh, wrap it up now. I know we've both got other things to do. This has really been amazing. Um, I've got a lot of information, and you know, a lot, you're easy to talk to, which, um, but you're also full of good stuff. Well, it, thank you. It's mind-boggling, yeah. It, um, so, yeah, this has been... Were you still talking? This is Joel Albrecht, and I've been talking to Jonathan Pritchard. And he will, you can contact him at his, um, there are several different places. They'll all be in the show notes. If you want to read the show notes, those are always fascinating too. He has a lot of fascinating, he has a lot of information on his site. He now has the, what's it called? The university? Oh, uh, elite.university. Elite? That's the, that's the website. www.elite.university. That's, that's the URL. Nice. Elite.university. You can yeah. go to school, become a mind reader, and uh, contact all of your dead relatives. No, yeah, contact your dead <laughs> not I will teach you how to make it look like you can do that. That's it. That's it. All right. Thanks for listening. And as I always say, be good to each other. And be good to yourselves.